Join Dr. Brown as he continues to dig deep into the truths of the gospel of Jesus Christ as he walks through the book of Galatians. This is Hearing is Believing. And back when Katie and I, when we were dating, when we were in college, Katie took a public speaking course. And I didn't realize this, but did you know that public speaking is one of the uh, greatest fears that most people have? I just don't understand why anybody wouldn't want to do what I do on a regular basis. I have no idea. But anyway, uh, so remember that, Sunday school teachers, by the way, when you call on your uh, classmates to pray or your students to pray or whoever's in there, your discipleship, what do you call those people who attend Sunday school? Anyway, those that come to discipleship in small group, remember when you call on them to pray, it's not that they're afraid to pray, it's just they don't like praying in public. Uh, Public speaking is something that people are afraid of. And so Katie's public speaking course was at 8 o'clock in the morning, 8 o'clock in the morning. Now, uh, that's a fine good morning at 8 o'clock in the morning. So it came time for her to give a speech, and I knew my girlfriend was stressed, and so I decided that I was going to set an alarm. And I was going to surprise her before her speech. I was going to show up with a word of edification. I thought that just seeing me would make everything all right. But anyway, I went to bed with that thought, and I didn't tell her that I had every expectation that I was going to make it on time before her speech, and so I went to bed, and it slept, and all of a sudden, I jumped out of bed really quickly, and I started throwing everything together, and my roommate, I started making so much noise that I rustled around, and my roommate said, Andy what's going on? I said, I have to go meet Katie. And he said, Andy, where? I said, she has a speech this morning. He said, Andy, it's four in the morning. And so sure enough, it was four in the morning. And so I went back to bed, collected myself, slept a little bit. The alarm went off. I went up and I was able to surprise Katie. And but to this day, uh, by the way, she made an A on that speech, by the way. But to this day, I have this reoccurring nightmare that I have overslept or I'm late for class. I have this, anybody else have this reoccurring? You've been out of school maybe a long time, but it's always these dreams that are always so real. It's the, it's the realest dreams. I wake up and right in the middle of the dream, it's like, oh my goodness, I've quit. I've not studied for my test. Oh my goodness, I've overslept for my class. Now, and my nightmare is always when I'm in school. It's always school for me. And my wife, she made it perfectly clear that she was done after college, and she doesn't understand in any regards why I went on to have three uh, postgraduate degrees, but the only thing that she could say was, said, Andy, you must like living in a nightmare. So I guess that's true. <laughs> but today what I want to do is I want to talk to you about time. What is time? Time is that thing that flies without wings. Time is that thing that's harmless, but it'll kill you. It's the question that you ask all day and you get a different answer to. What time is it? And the church has thought a great deal about time. After all, the the Bible that you have in your hand there, the one that you opened up to Galatians, it represents a period of about 1,500 years. 1,500 years of God making himself known intentionally through speech, signs, and wonders. The Bible begins, if we were to go back and we were to consider the Bible, the Bible begins by telling us that God created time. Think about the Genesis narrative. You have day one, day two, morning and evening, the third day, morning and evening, the fourth day. And so there's time that's marked in the Bible. And if you read the Genesis narrative closely, you'll see that God created time for us. And then David, come to the Psalms, and David says, My times 
are in your hands. And then later David says this, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. And that all includes a succession of time. All of time is in his hands. Think about what the author of Hebrews says. Hebrews says, long ago, you hear the mark of time there? Long ago and at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he created the world. And the reason why we're focusing so much on time this morning is because the text that you have before us is going to draw our attention towards time. Let's read the Bible together, and I think that it'll become clear. Hopefully you have it in front of you. If not, it's on the screen for you there. It'll become clear. You listen for the element of time. Hear the Word of God, Galatians 4. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he's the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. So the apostle, he shows us time. And the apostle understands the advent of Christ, that is, the appearing of Christ, the coming of Christ as the definitive act whereby God reorients all reality to himself. Now you say, that sounds like an overstatement, Pastor. No, no, no. I'm not overstating it, and I'm going to show you in just a moment. But the apostle, he understands the advent of Christ, that is, Christ coming as that definitive act whereby God reorients all reality to himself. Think about this, for example reorienting all of reality to himself. The only way that you can know God is through a cross. I've said that a couple of times, but hopefully this is another opportunity for that fact to sink in a little bit. Just think about that. You cannot know God except through a cross. There's no way to know him. And so you have this apostle who comes and says the same thing that the author of Hebrews says, long ago at many times God spoke to the fathers, but in these last days he has spoken to us by the Son. And who is this Son? This son is the one who created all things. And so the advent of Christ is the definitive act whereby God reorients all of reality to himself. Thomas Torrance, he says this. He says, all of the Old Testament converge on the fact of Christ. In other words, the whole Old Testament come together on the fact, the reality of Jesus. Indeed, as another Christian preacher said, the gospel is the first fruits of the Scripture. The key subject to understand the gospel is Jesus Christ. It is through Jesus Christ that we understand all things. 
Have you ever considered that? It is through Jesus Christ that we understand all things. Or as another professor said, the gospel serve as a skeleton key in unlocking the whole Bible. We were talking about Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which tell the story of Jesus. The story of the eternal son who took on flesh, who dwelt among us, so that as John says, we could see his glory, glory as of the only begotten of God. And so that one instance, the the advent of Christ coming in the fullness of time is the way in which we understand all things. Now, I want to camp out on that just for a minute because this is, this is tremendous. This, this passage here, we have this, this idea of the fullness of time. In Christ, we see the fullness of time. In Christ, we see the fullness of time. What does that mean? Here's what it means. Through Christ, we see eternity with a body. Through Christ, we see eternity embodied. As Colossians tells us, listen to this passage in Colossians. Colossians says that he is before all things, that he is Jesus, and in him all things hold together. Now, did you hear that? It's not simply simply that he holds all things together. That's not what the Bible says. It says that in him all things hold together. And then the uh, apostle goes on and he tells us he, Jesus, is the beginning He is the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. What is he? He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he, who's the beginning, who's the firstborn, he might be preeminent. And then it gets richer. Listen, for in him, in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Christ is the defining moment of human existence. He created space in order to be known, and He orients human history according to Himself. In other words, Christ is reality. And that's not an overstatement. Look back, for example, look back what Paul says in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 1. He says, oh foolish Galatians, he says, what's wrong with you people? Who has bewitched you? Somebody cast a spell on you? And then he says this. Look at what he's holding before them. It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. And so, in other words, ever since Galatians chapter 3, the problem that he's having with this, uh, the problem that he's engaging with in this Galatian church is these individuals who have come. And they want to interpret the Old Testament. They want to say, well, the Old Testament is all of these things and Jesus. All of these rules and ordinances plus a little bit of Jesus. And then Paul says, no, 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 no. Christ alone. Christ alone. Faith in Christ alone. That's it. There's not Jesus plus anything else. It's Christ alone. And so he's, he's holding before them this reality of a crucified Christ. He's holding before the Galatians Jesus. And ever since... 3.1, he has endeavored to have the Galatians understand reality. You say, well, what is reality? Now that Jesus has come, now that faith has come, they are in what's called the fullness of time. And beloved, this is written, Galatians is written a good 20 years after Jesus. And if they're in the fullness of time, The same is true for us. We are in 
the fullness of time. And then as Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 10, I won't read all of that for you, but you can write that down in your margin. Christ, in the words of that Ephesians passage, Christ is the way to the Father. Christ is the one who makes known the mystery of His will according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ. Listen, as a plan, the apostle says, for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things in earth, to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things in earth. As Torrance says again, as the summation of all things, Christ, listen to this, penetrates back to the beginning in the original creation, retracing and reaffirming in it the divine will and reaching forward to the consummation in the new creation in which all things are gathered up, thus connecting the end with the beginning. So Christ, when He comes, He reorients all of history to Himself. He reaches back, and He relives the story, and He reaches ahead, and He gives us an object of our faith. And so now He is, he is the connecting point between the end and the beginning. He is the first and the last, the Alpha and the Omega. This is this Jesus who we serve. This is this Jesus who we proclaim. And Paul says, you're going you're gonna to leave Him? You're going to think that you can find salvation in some other place? All of the world religions converge on Jesus Christ. All of them converge on Jesus Christ. The question that everyone in the sound of my voice has to ask is, what are you going to do with Jesus? What are you going to do with Jesus? And this is why further, this is why further there's no other way to salvation because who else can do what He did? Who else can live, who else can be titled as the fullness of time? There's no one else qualified to have such a title other than Jesus. This Jesus, when He comes, He is the fullness of time. He connects the end with the beginning. He came in the fullness of time. And that's where we are. We are in this period known as the fullness of time. And look at this. Look at the Bible in Galatians chapter 4. In the fullness of time, we read it, but let me go through it again. There's freedom. There's redemption. There's adoption. There's sonship. There is a God who listens, and we are in that time. I've entitled this message today, The Time Has Come. And the reason that the time has come is because Jesus has come. So what I want to do is I want to give you two points as we walk through this text, and it's really going to be simple this morning. We're just going to walk through the text and let the text speak for itself. As Spurgeon used to say, he used to uh, ask people to pray to pray for him to let the lion loose on the congregation from the pulpit. In other words, just open the Bible and let the lion defend itself. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. So two truths about time. Number one, hopefully you're writing this down. Number one, before Christ, there was expectation. There was a period that was before Christ. And before Christ, we had this period of expectation. And this whole section that we're looking at in chapter 4 is really an extension of what we saw earlier in chapter 3 in verse 23. Look at what 3.23 says. Before faith came, and that's important, that's key. Before faith came, 
We were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. 323. Now, look at the language the Bible uses to refer to that time between the giving of the law in Sinai at Exodus chapter 19 and 20 and the resurrection of Jesus and the sending of the Spirit. So you've got this, this long amount of time, but look at the language that the Bible uses to refer to that time between it. We learned that the law was given because of transgression, 323. You see that word there, until. It was given because of transgression, until. So there was an expiration date to the purpose of the law. It was given until. It was put in place further. We learned that it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. In other words, what do we learn from that? We learned that the law itself... The fact that we have a law means that there is a separation between our fellowship with God. The fact that God had to give us ten words, the fact that He had to give us all that's in Leviticus shows how far we are from the glory of God. And then look at what else we learn in 321. 321 says that the law cannot give life. But then look at what the Bible says in chapter 3 and verse 25. It says that the law is a guardian or a tutor or a schoolmaster. You know what a guardian or a a schoolmaster or or a tutor does? If they're a good tutor or a good schoolmaster, they're going to come at you and point out where you should have done better or where you could have done better. That's what a good tutor is, right? It's not someone to prop up your bad attempts at a good grade, it's someone who's going to get you to making the good grade. And I remember, and and I shared this story in the first service, and I said that I wasn't going to share it to you guys, but I might as well since we're here. But uh, I remember uh, in seminary, uh, we had, we we met a lady by the name of Kate Turabian. Anybody here know Kate Turabian? All right, yeah, MLA, Kate Turabian, Chicago, whatever. Anyway, and so, Southern Seminary, they had, not only did they have Kate Turabian, but they also had the uh, uh, SBL guide. Uh, um, I forget what that stands for, but anyway, something biblical literature. I don't think it's Southern. I want to say it's Southern just because I'm Southern, but I don't think that it's that. You had SBL, you had Kate Turabian, and then you had the Southern style guide. You had to take your thesis or your dissertation or whatever you were writing, and you had to present that with all three of those layers. And so the expectation was, if you're going to graduate from this institution, you better be familiar with all the little jots and tittles in Kate Turabian, SBL, and the Southern guide. So I thought I did a great job. I, I took my paper to one a uh, former teacher in my previous church, and I had her read it. And she said, oh, this is great. She's had a few recommendations for me. She said, you shouldn't have written this. You should have gone to sleep instead of writing this. You can tell where you got tired, all those little things. And then I went to Grammarly.com, and, you know, I'm making sure all the punctuation is right where it needs to be. And I'm thinking, man, I've got something that I'm ready to turn in. Now, here's the way that it works. The lady that we had to turn it into, her name was Marsha Omanson. Marsha Omanson, one of the most precise individuals on the planet. I'm telling you, this lady. But anyway, Miss Omanson, you turned in your paper to her, and if you passed her marks, then it was a freebie. If she gave it back to you, it cost you $200. And if you failed again, guess what it cost you? 
$200. And they would put that on repeat until you were out of money or the institution got tired of you and they'd send you home. So anyway, I remember Miss Omanson turning in, uh, or me turning in my paper to her, and she sent it back to me within three days, which I knew that's not a good sign because it was a good 125-page document. But anyway, Miss Omanson, she turned it back. and. There was so much red on my paper. I had no idea that a pen could hold so much red. I mean, I'd gone through all of these levels. I'd, I'd used my school teacher. I'd used Grammarly.com. I paid for the premium edition. How, would it, how did it miss all of this stuff? And Miss Omanson, she wrote on my paper, she wrote on the margin about in page five, it is a waste of my time to read any further. Please collect $200. And so I, I asked her, I said, well, obviously, Ms. Omanson, I need some help. I need somebody that you would recommend to tell me what I need to do. And so I ended up hiring an editor, <laughs> $60 an hour later. But anyway, that's another story. I've got my degree. It's all over with. But that's the purpose of a schoolmaster. A schoolmaster is one who points out where you should have done better. And that's the purpose of the law. The purpose of the law, Paul says, the purpose of the law is to show you here's where you messed up. The law is that red mark on your white piece of paper that you think is perfect. The law comes in and it says, nope, here's where you missed it. Nope, here's a mark down. Nope, here's another one. And then notice what happens in chapter 4 in verse 3 as we understand the time between before Christ. Notice chapter 4 in verse 3, Paul says the state of the world before Jesus is enslaved to the elementary principles of this world. Now, what on earth are the elementary principles of this world? What does that mean? Are we talking about earth, wind, and fire? What are we talking about here? I think that those elementary principles of the world are further detailed by what Jesus says in John 8, 34. Jesus says, everyone who practices sin is a slave of sin. So, in other words, you can't help it. The practice of sin and enslavement is what Paul referred to in Romans chapter 7. Listen to what he says. So, I find it to be a law, a law, interesting word, Paul. I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God, but my inner being, I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. And then listen to what Paul says, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but in my flesh I serve the law of sin. The whole point of that is to say that before Jesus, before the Spirit, there was only enslavement. There was disobedience because the people didn't have a heart to obey. Do you remember the end of Deuteronomy? And I wish that we could go and go back and look at that. But at the end of Deuteronomy, mark that down maybe. Right at the end of Deuteronomy, that's where Moses spells out the curses. So Moses basically tells the people by him spelling out the curses, you know what he's saying prophetically? He's saying, here I have just spent these five books called the books of Moses, called the Torah, called the law, and then Moses spells out the curses. He says, here's what's going to happen when you don't obey. 
A lot of confidence that Moses has in the people, right? Here's what, here, let me go ahead and lay this out for you. Some say, well, he's, he's doing that so that they won't disobey. No, no. He's telling them what's going to happen because earlier in Deuteronomy, he says, you don't have a heart to obey. You don't need these tablets written in stone. You need the law written on your heart. And until you have that new heart, you can't obey. And so, until then, here's the law to let you know that even your best falls short of the glory of God. And this is why Jesus comes on the scene and they call him teacher. They call him rabbi. And by the way, don't miss this. Moses received the 10 words at Mount Sinai. Matthew tells us, as well as Luke tells us, that uh, Jesus went, well, Matthew tells us that Jesus gave his sermon on the mount. Luke records another sermon where he did it on the plain. But uh, Matthew records this sermon on the mount. So here this Jesus is as the new Moses, as the long-anticipated prophet that Moses said, listen to him. He takes the mountain, and what does he say? He says, you've heard that it was said, don't commit adultery. And for all of these men in the audience and the women in the audience, they're like, okay, yeah, we're good. We're good here. Jesus says, but here's what I say to you. If you look at a man or you look at a woman with lust, you're guilty of adultery and everybody's mouth is stopped. And then Jesus says, here's another, here's another. I say, you've heard that it was said, don't murder. And everybody's like, yeah, I don't have any blood on my hands. The police aren't looking for me. And Jesus says, if you've been angry with your brother or sister, you've committed murder in your heart. And so just by that account, in the sound of my voice, who in in this room is not an adulterer and a murderer? And that's the purpose of the law. The law is to show us, is to enslave us, to show us that even our best falls short. And so this law was given to create a longing. This law was given to create an expectation of release from our wretchedness. As we heard earlier in the song, and can it be another, another line in that song, long my Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound by sin and nature's might. My eye diffused a quickening ray. I rose, went forth, and something in light. I don't remember the rest of my My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose and followed thee. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? In other words, this, this law was given to create a longing in us. Realize that the best that we can do is not good enough. Martin Luther, he was reading the book of Galatians and the book of Romans, and he, he tells a story of him going to Rome, and he's climbing up the steps, asking for penance. He's climbing up the steps, saying a, a, a prayer as he's going up the step, and he's getting up to the top of the step, and he doesn't feel any different than he did going from the bottom. And the point of that is, is that what, that's what the law is supposed to do. The law is to create this longing because we are enslaved to the elementary principles of this world. We cannot obey. It's impossible. And even if you do obey, in your obedience, the motivation of your heart is wicked because your heart is not redeemed. Paul says, who will deliver me? from this body of death. And he answers in Romans, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. But how does he answer in Galatians? When the fullness of time had come, 
Look at it, verse 4. God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Number two this morning, in hope, or excuse me, in Christ, hope is realized. But again, notice the hope that is realized is in Christ. And let's just let the Word speak. And again, remember, all of this is in the fullness of time. What did God do in the fullness of time? Well, look at the Bible. Look at verse 4. He sent His Son. What did God do? He wasn't passive. He wasn't just watching world events pass by. And He's not passive today. He's not simply watching events pass by. He's sovereign. He rules over all. He has a plan. We can trust Him. We don't have to, I don't understand everything that's going on in the world, but this is what I know. God is good, and I can trust Him. Believer, you can trust Him. The news that you heard from the doctor this week, you can trust the Lord. The news that you're, you receive from your family concerning that loved one, you can trust the Lord. Because all of time is in His hands. The lot for us has fallen in pleasant places because the lot for Jesus fell for us. He sent His Son, born of a woman. This Jesus is the promised Son of Genesis 3.15. He is Abraham's heir. He, as Galatians chapter 6 is going to make clear, He is the Israel of God. He's the Son of David, who is who will forever sit on the throne as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Look at this. He was born under the law. That is, he was born in a time awaiting redemption. He was, as the author of Hebrews says, tempted as we are, yet without sin. He became as we are. He was born in our time so that he could fill up time and redeem us to himself. And he did that all for you. He was born in our time so that he could fill up time and redeem us to himself. And the sending of the Son is the first mark of realized hope. Jesus has come. And since Jesus has come, the world can never be the same. How can it? All of creation had anticipated the moment. And now that He's come, what sense does it make to try to go back and live like He's not been sent? Why, when you're reading your Bible, why, when you pray, why, when you do all of these things, do you think that God's not going to forgive you? Why do you go back and try to put the stone back over the tomb? The tomb is empty. It is finished, He said. And He said it for you. He said it for me. I love the way N.T. Wright, N.T. Wright, he says, when Jesus walked out of that tomb, you have to understand, this Jesus, the, the resurrected Lord, fully God, fully man, raised bodily, he walks out of that tomb. N.T. Wright says, the new creation began right in the middle of the old one. Why would we live as if he's not risen? 
Why would we live as if Easter doesn't make a difference? Why would we live as if things haven't changed because of Jesus? Everything has changed because of Jesus. And the sending of the Son meant the greatest change. All anticipation, all the anticipation of hope is now realized in Him. What are the markers of that hope? Look at the text very quickly. He came to redeem. Isn't that what your Bible says in verse, in verse 5? He came to redeem. I want you to be specific. Not so, that they, not so that we could be redeemed. That's not what it says. He didn't say that He came to open up the avenue of redemption. That's not what it says. It says that He came to redeem. You need to learn that, beloved. Jesus paid it all. He redeemed you at the cross. You say, how do you make sense of that? I have no earthly idea, but I know it happened. You say, how do you know? Because of this one little word, to redeem. Not to open the door of possibility, but to redeem. Jesus paid it all. The old song that we used to sing, he breaks the power of canceled sin, and he did it for you. He came further so that we could receive adoption through Jesus. We are now children of God. And look how rich it gets. Since we are children, we are heirs. In other words, every promise that's, that is, every promise in the Bible is now ours in Christ. We are, but notice again, we are not heirs in and of ourselves. We are heirs through God. Our inheritance is all of grace and the greatest gift of all. The mark that we are children of God, look at this, is not circumcision made by hands, but a sealing of the Spirit. Miraculously, the Spirit is sent into our hearts, crying what a child cries to its daddy, Abba, Father. Because of Jesus, because of the Spirit, because of the Father. You get to now refer to God, three in one blessed trinity, as Father. The God who created the cosmos and everything in it because of Jesus, you get to have a personal relationship with Him. And you don't just get to call Him Sir Father or Lord Father, you get to call Him Daddy. We used to pray at one of the churches that I served, and one of the missionaries that would pray, he would say, Father, we just need to climb in your lap and call you Daddy. That's what you get to do because of Jesus. You say, the mark of the Spirit? How do I know that I'm in the Spirit? Are there any ways that I can know that uh, the Spirit is at work in my life? Absolutely. Look ahead to Galatians chapter 5, where we see the fruit of the Spirit, but We'll have to save that sermon for another day. And all of this came in the fullness of time. All of this came in the fullness of time. If the Son was sent when time was at its full, and the fullness of time is where we are, then what is it that remains? The only thing that remains, listen carefully, is the end of time. And when the end comes, the one who filled time will end time.
But that's then. And this is today. And I don't know when that end is coming. But I know that it's coming. You say, how do you know that it's coming? Because Jesus has filled time. He's already come in the fullness of time. And I don't know how much time you have left today. But here's what I know. Today, as long as it's today, is the day of salvation. So the Bible says, if you hear His voice, don't harden your heart. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. The time has come. Salvation is near. All who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Father in heaven, it's my prayer that there's one here today that you would save, that they would learn that they can have a personal relationship with you, that they can do something that may be unimaginable. They can call you Abba, Daddy, all because of Jesus. This is our time, and Lord, it's time for somebody to follow Jesus, in whose name we pray, and all of God's people said, amen. Thank you for listening to the preaching ministry of Dr. Andy Brown, Senior Pastor of First Baptist Startville in Startville, Mississippi. If you enjoyed what you heard, make sure to follow Hearing is Believing on Facebook and rate and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. You can also find us at hearingisbelieving.org.